Hello, this is your host, Sonata Allison, and welcome back to the Parallel Podcast, where we talk about sexuality as it should be. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. So pretty cool that this episode landed in Mental Health Awareness Month, because as you can see, we're talking about marriage and mental health. So um, yeah, I have this conversation with Sarah about her mental health and how it's affected her her marriage and her dating. Um, Also, if we kind of just break that down, mental health. So it doesn't mean you have to have a disorder, an issue. Your thought processes are a part of your mental health. If your mind, you know, if we kind of look at it as like a home or a space, is it a safe space for you even? Do you allow yourself to be more positive and helpful rather than negative or critical of yourself? That can be um, a unhealthy mental health. So um, it, it's that simple. It doesn't have to be anything extreme that's been diagnosed by a, um, a psychologist or anything like that. Um, but we will be talking about um, how her um, diagnosis has affected her marriage and she talks about how you guys can ask certain questions or tell certain things and the way to do that in dating and also what it looks like in marriage for her in particular. So I think this is a really helpful episode for people who might be nervous to explain um, their struggles or just some of the negative mindsets they may be stuck in at some points and not to shy away from having those conversations with people that might be with them for the rest of their lives. So that's what we'll be talking about today. So let's get right into it. All righty. Hello, Sarah. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Sonata? I'm also good. Thank you for asking. So you may or may not know this, but when I have a new person on the podcast, I ask a question similar to this one. And it is today, it'll be, um, what is the Lord teaching you right now? And what makes you believe that? God is taking me through some intense health struggles right now and was recently diagnosed with Lyme's disease and Hashimoto's. And I've had health issues for a long time, but these diagnoses have really made it real and really shown me that I need some real answers. And God has really, through that, but also some other life circumstances, just shown me that he desires intimacy with me. And mm. I I think I can often see God in a vending machine relationship where I go to him when I need something. And when he wants to fellowship with me, he wants to sit with me. He wants to sit with those emotions that I have about my frustrations with my health or my questions about why he's allowing this to happen to me at this point in my life and my career. And when I have all these dreams and things I want to accomplish. So that's, that's been a big theme recently is just, I also desire more intimacy with God. And it's funny how the one thing we know that brings us peace and help and encouragement is the one thing that we really struggle with is just kind of being calm and still before the Lord, allowing him to speak to us. So that's, that's been a big theme. Yeah, that's really good. And I think it kind of sucks to say this, but like this is the reality that when we're really going through the hardest things, we feel closest to him. Like it's the thing that draws us closest to him. So it's like (laughs) we wish these things didn't happen, but also at the same time, it allows us to be close to God. So it's like, uh... I know it's just like, you know, maybe if I can learn my lesson this time, then I won't get all of the crazy trials in the future. (laughs) You know what? That's probably, yeah, it's probably not going to even happen that way. He's going to find another way. Yes. Totally. <laughs> on, this side of, in the, on this side of heaven. But <laughs> yeah, that is a, a a beautiful way to look at it. So um, yeah, tell the people who you are. What? Who are you? Why are you here? <laughs> well, my name is Sarah and I live in Tampa, Florida at the moment. My husband and I are about to make an exciting move to Nashville, Tennessee to pursue a uh, music career and just kind of head after that full tilt. I've been doing music for a long time, but really feel like God is calling very strongly into this new season of being intentional with music. And, um, why, why I'm here is I connected with you on social media and we have very similar passions about just 
Christian living and honest conversations about mental health, about sexuality, about coming maybe from conservative Christian backgrounds and now facing the realities of marriage and I wouldn't say disillusionment, but just adjusted expectations when heading into a different season of life when God does bring the right person. And then you think, you know, you've grown up watching Pride and Prejudice where all of the movies <laughs> end at the wedding scene. They don't actually take you into the first couple months of Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth learning how to live as a happy married couple. Mm-hmm. And uh, so those those themes have been very dear to my heart as well as the mental health topics. And I have had a lifelong struggle with obsessive compulsive disorder. And it's so exciting that you're actually a licensed therapist um, to have a conversation with someone who is a licensed therapist is is so wonderful because I know you understand to even a deeper level than a lot mm-hmm. of people that I've talked to about it. And I think that's just so valuable, especially as a Christian. But God has really taken me through some intense battles with that. And for years, I didn't know what I was actually struggling with. I thought I was just a terrible Christian because my struggles with intrusive thoughts were beyond what I would say, I hate using the word, the normal person, but maybe the person who doesn't struggle with OCD or mental health disorder would be the intensity that they might experience. It was just infinitely more anxiety inducing. And for years I thought I just must be crazy. I must, I must be a weirdo. And after many different spiritual investigations and confessing sins Mm. that I thought maybe I'm, maybe I'm struggling with these what I didn't know was OCD symptoms were OCD symptoms. Maybe if I just confessed some sin or had a demon rebuked away from me, maybe I would finally find relief. And that didn't happen. And God finally showed me, it was actually only about four years ago that what I was struggling with was OCD and that it's just been an amazing upward journey since then to go from four years ago, living with my parents, literally sleeping in their bedroom because Mm. I was so bad off. I was um, at risk of hurting myself and almost about to be committed to a mental health Mm. facility just because my parents were at their wits end and I was at my wits end. And so God, God was so gracious to show me what it really was, that it was a struggle with OCD. And that's, that's a whole other conversation just you know, how I kind of came to that realization and the different symptoms I was experiencing. But a lot of, a lot of compulsive behaviors that even people within the Christian community could just say, oh, that's just a spiritual problem. You know, if you wouldn't obsessively doubt your faith or your salvation, if you truly had a strong walk with God. And Mm. so, um, yeah, that's a huge part of my story, but so excited to be here to talk about mental health and marriage and sexuality and OCD and all the things. Cause as we know in life, they often intersect and they're all Mm -hmm. twisted together and connect. And uh, even just seeing how OCD has impacted my relationship with my husband, you know, relationship OCD was a new animal to have, to have to deal with at one point in my life, but thank God he's really helped me through that. So. Yeah, that's awesome. And as you, when you said, like when I got the OCD diagnosis, it was uphill from there. I think some of my clients are like, Oh my gosh, I just, I was so glad when I knew that I could call Mm -hmm. it something like it. Some people might think like, Oh, you're excited that you have OCD. No, like I just am glad that I know what I'm experiencing now. I'm not crazy anymore. So yeah, I can definitely definitely understand that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so we'll get into all that. I want to start first with um, what was the earliest conversation you had about sex and sexuality with like a parent or a, a, a guardian, may, maybe even a friend or whatever? Yeah. Gosh, well, it's, it gets a little foggy back in the childhood. I, I seriously don't have a great memory. And again, that could be due to health issues, but I do remember having a, a conversation with my mom. We She actually homeschooled us when we were kids. So we didn't have your traditional public school education where they probably had a module about sex and how the body worked. So she was our resource, (laughs) right? You didn't Um, miss out on too much. (laughs) Probably not, to be honest, especially these days. Yeah. Uh, So she, I remember her giving us like an anatomy lesson about how sex worked and it was very just scientific and, oh, okay, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually- 
used to think babies came out of the belly button. I mean, it makes sense. So I was right there with you. So, you know, (laughs) so, but a lot, I would say we, we rarely talked about sex. So there was that conversation. There were a few other probably small conversations about it here and there. Obviously when I had my period, that was another conversation, Mm -hmm. but I, I just, I kind of, without really having the internet as a child, thank God, probably saved me from a lot of difficulty. I remember Mm. getting like an American, I think the American Girl Association had a book about the body and how it worked and everything. And I remember reading that book and getting my education from various literary sources as well as my mom. But yeah, it, it wasn't, it was, it was not something that we felt was a a comfortable subject to discuss in our family, not because it wasn't shameful, but it just, it's awkward and it wasn't a common conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I like asking this question because I just need people to really know these conversations are not happening. (laughs) Yeah. Like (laughs) this is like my plea for people to understand, like there is a reason I'm telling you there's a reason for this podcast. Like, and this is why (laughs) Yeah, people like, um, I, there was an adult that I was speaking to recently and she was saying like, she's like, um, older, well, actually closer to our age, but, um, she was saying like, I've never heard purity explained that way. And Hmm. why? Yeah. Why? Why have you, why have you, someone that's older than me never hear purity explained the way that I've explained it. So this is a needed conversation. It is. And and kids are curious. So if you're not talking to them about it, they're going to find out. I managed to find out things because Mm -hmm. I investigated and I was a kid that didn't have a device. I had a, like an old computer in my dad's office that was this big, you know, so it was library books, but I was, I remember being so curious about it and just interested in it because also it being a taboo subject or a a subject you don't really talk about very often. Naturally, you're going to want to know everything about it. Exactly. Yes. There's a natural (laughs) curiosity about sex for most humans. So yes, that is my, that is my spiel. But to, to pivot from parents to church, what conversations do you feel like you were having at church? Because I know in one of your TikToks you said like you felt like marriage was like the the sexual mecca. So where did you get that understanding from? So that was never preached to me, thank God. Uh, but that was more the the you're, you're you're left to make a lot of assumptions about sex when you're not told mm-hmm. about it. So the assumptions can either be very good based on your trauma or. or very, very bad based on your trauma or experiences, maybe abuse or whatever. Or in my case of someone who didn't have abuse, who had a relatively clean slate, oh, surely it's amazing view of it. I was only left to assume that it would just be butterflies and rainbows and everything would be great, especially if, oh, surely if there's no adultery or if there's no pornography or whatever, everything's going to be great. So I think, and I was in a very conservative church environment for my most foundational years from, I would say 12 to 17. I, it was, you know, think of the Duggars. It was that vibe, maybe even more conservative because our pastor didn't even encourage sending girls off. Like the Duggars went to like girls retreats and stuff, um, which we Mm -hmm. were actually a part of the homeschool organization on top of that church being the way it was. We were also a part of the the homeschool organization that the Duggars were part of. So we had, huh. we had the conservatism and the hush hush about sexual topics on both sides. So mm. it was not the only time you would hear it. Any, anything about sex being mentioned in church really would mostly err on the side of, Oh, here's a sermon and we're going to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah and how sexually perverted they were, <laughs> or here's, you know, I don't know, just, just sermons mentioning unfaithfulness or promiscuity and and warning you to stay away from those things. So on the one hand, it wasn't taught to be icky, but on the other hand, it was, it was just under lock and key. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I should have assumed that there was a lot of sex happening because our pastor had 14 kids. (laughs) Oh, wow. Like, I mean, that is that a lot of humans. I know. Well, our church, that, like I remember my best 
one of my best friends, uh, family, they had seven girls and one boy. And then another family had five kids and it was a church of a lot of procreation happening. So (laughs) it's funny to me how maybe in the women's Bible studies that I was not a part of, I'm sure they were talking about things where one woman would get together with another woman and probably have honest conversations in some way. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, erring on the conservative side of things, I wouldn't doubt that a lot of it would gear more towards the woman meeting the man's needs as it was kind of more of a patriarchal type situation. So I wouldn't doubt that maybe some of those conversations were skewed in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when do you feel like you were able to shed that belief and like, how did that even happen for you? It was not a sudden thing. It was years of I think, I think my, the impact for me was less, I would say like purity culture impact and more so seeing God as not being maybe so strict and rule following being an emphasis in my relationship with Mm -hmm. the Lord. Like, I think it was more just a holistic coming away from rules focused religion to Mm -hmm. maybe more focus on relationship, even though, thank God, even in that church, we were taught a lot of wonderful things about, you know, God's love and his kindness, but it was an emphasis on outward appearance and all of that. So I would say there were some things that were challenged as in, I never kissed anyone until I was, oh gosh, my first kiss was, I was 27, 26. Wow. 27. So you know, but for my personality, that wasn't a big deal. Like mm-hmm. there were a lot of people that just kind of went the opposite direction because they had been mm-hmm. really re- re- repressed or hurt or whatever. And thankfully for me, that wasn't my experience. I think probably the impact for me personally the most has been the fact that I wasn't maybe as prepared from that church environment for the realities of marriage and how to struggle through different physical intimacy issues or Mm. baggage or working through hurt. However, there was a Christian ministry that I got involved with, uh, with a family that was actually in that same Duggar homeschool organization, but they came out of that and they also saw that there was some harm there and they started their own ministry on, it's called whatever it takes ministries. They're amazing. They help people break free of sexual bondage and they do marriage conferences. There's often a lot of reconciliation between husbands and wives where maybe the husbands have had porn issues or adultery and they're able to reconcile through that and have, you know, deep inner work done to figure out why and belief systems and all that. So being a part of that ministry and going to the singles conferences, many of them, I was able to see a lot of the reality of broken marriages and hurt that can come from your singlehood into your marriage and how that's something that you have to work through. And it's not just going to be all perfect, even if you're a Christian, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. so I'm grateful for that experience through that ministry that really helped. Yeah. And how long were you, it's like a weird question, but how long were you single before you got married? I don't know like how to, how to ask that, (laughs) but like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I was, I had dated off I and guess on when did you throughout. get married? I guess that might be. I go, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I got married when I was 28 and my husband okay. and I met through, we met just before COVID started. So it was okay. February of 2020. We went on our first date and we had met okay. on a dating app called Bumble. Okay. And I uh, had tried out various dating apps and dating websites and I had rage quit some of them, you know, like, oh, I'll start it and then I'll delete my account yep, that is whatever. I'm not common. paying that subscription fee anymore after this doofus <laughs> just ghosted me or whatever. So then <laughs> we ended up um, meeting and then the world shut down. So that was pretty fun. But we we got engaged <laughs> after about six months of dating and then got married wow. after about so, seven so months. So in the middle of COVID? We got married in March of 21. So okay. it was still okay. kind of covid but being mm-hmm. in Florida, the restrictions were a little bit lighter. Yes. So, 
Yeah. But throughout the years, I had only had a relation, the longest relationship I had had was four months. And I would say I'm a pretty quick decision maker. So it mm-hmm. didn't take long for me in a relationship to figure out if the relationship was going to be viable. And I just didn't really like wasting time. So I would just, you know, either they would call it off or I would call it off and we'd move on. So <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm the same way. My friends are like, I know after the first date and people are like, you didn't right? want to take a chance. If I already know, what am I going right? to, I'm wasting his money. Don't waste his time either. Yeah. Or his money. Exactly. <laughs> Which I think does tend to kind of mess you up a little. Cause it is, it is, it is hard. Like, to go from not really being in the rhythm with someone in a relationship from not having dated someone longer than four months. And that was a long distance relationship. So I didn't even quite experience okay. daily life and preferences and, Oh, here's how we adjust our schedule for each other or, you know, just all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a bigger learning curve for me in marriage. But you either learn it when you're dating or you learn it when you're married. So it's not like you're not going to learn. It's just, delayed learning <laughs> exactly so i think that's people i think people try to prepare so much before marriage which is important and you need to make sure you're with the with a you know good enough person right <laughs> someone who loves the lord right um mm-hmm. but at the end of the day people think oh if i cohabitate then i'll know how he lives if, if we do this mm-hmm. then i'll know this but you're always going to be caught off guard by different things and mm-hmm. it's a part of sanctification i think when you oh yeah commit yourself to somebody and then you have to work on that and stay with them. That mm-hmm. is true sanctification right there. <laughs> Honestly, it, it, it's it been wonderful, but it has been the hardest thing. <laughs> mm. Very hard. Yeah. Just because we're both. And and I'm, I'm also convinced this is totally a bunny trail. I'm convinced that a lot of couples actually have it really easy in their relationship. Mm. And it's not their fault or it's not there because of their hard work necessarily. It's because of their personality matching. Mm-hmm. This is my personal opinion. I could be totally wrong here. For instance, mm-hmm. my brother and sister-in-law, they just get along famously all the time, like barely ever disagree. I mean, it's it's freaky. <laughs> and that messed me up mentally to then marry my my strong opinioned, you know, husband. And then I'm very strong opinioned. And I love mm-hmm. the fact that there's so many pros to how we're matched because we get stuff done. We make quick decisions. Like we do think the same about literally almost everything. Um, so there's, there's so many pros to it. It's not like I'm saying, (laughs) Oh, it's a terrible match, but I think certain personality matches make things a lot more just naturally, maybe not have as many things to work through, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. equal. It doesn't mean that you're wrong for each other. If you tend to have to work through more situations with someone versus somebody else, you know? So that's, that's, that is really helpful though. And I know yeah, a lot no, of people I, I, would disagree and say, oh, you're just covering for it being a bad match. Listen, some I of the best disagree. things, some of, okay, good. but some <laughs> of the best things in life you have to really work hard for. And, you know, it does get easier as you, again, if I had known Steven for five years, maybe we would have worked all these little, you know, learning how to read his emotions or how to let him speak Mm -hmm. when I want to dominate or, you know, just all these little nuances that then create situations we have to work through. And we didn't have that. God didn't have that for us to be dating for five years. So we're kind of figuring those things out now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really, that's really helpful for people to hear. That's really helpful for, for people to hear. Like, I think a lot of the time people, base their desire for marriage or their uh, dislike for marriage on what they've seen in other people's relationships. Yes. So <laughs> you have no clue what your relationship will look like. You guys can have uh, a beautiful relationship where you argue twice your whole marriage and you know, it, it, that's just how it is for you guys. Or you mm-hmm. will struggle to see eye to eye for maybe the first two years. And then you guys are smooth sailing after that. You right. never know. So you never want to base your relationship off of what you see out there, even though it's hard to do that, right. you can have a completely different experience. Right. And God, how God works and how God sanctifies us and God's ultimate overarching glory in our life 
is not just all dependent on how easy our relationship is or how well we think we're matched. Like God's story for us is so much bigger than that. And what he's doing in my life isn't what he's doing in my brother and sister-in-law's life. In fact, they're their their first baby. And it's funny because, you know, you could look at their relationship and be like, oh my gosh, they have it so easy. They're just so amiable with each other. They almost lost their first child. She had a 10% Mm -hmm. chance of survival. She was a micro preemie, like literally this small. I mean, it was, it was incredibly traumatic. And I'm sure that they still have effects from that just even personally and emotionally. And God let them go through that. That may not ever be my experience, but they could be tempted to look. And if I happen to have healthy pregnancies in the future, they could think, well, why would God let that situation happen or not happen to Sarah? And I could be looking at their situation thinking, wow, they they seem to just never argue in their marriage. What's wrong with me? You know, we can compare out the wazoo, but ultimately what mm-hmm. is God doing? And anybody, you could you could match anybody. And if regardless, if they have the same Enneagram, if they have opposite Enneagram, whatever, if they are submitted to the Lord and they're both committed to humility and to kindness and working through issues, I mean, gosh, (laughs) you can get through anything. Yeah. (laughs) You really can. There's better matched Mm -hmm. people out there who don't know how to work through issues or, or better matched. You know what I mean? People who are both incredibly phlegmatic and maybe they never argue, but yet. Mm-hmm. They can't work through stuff. So God ultimately has the final say of who's right for who. Yeah. And that's that's something that actually like the Lord kind of helped me understand. I think it was yesterday, if I remember correctly. Mm. But <laughs> like marriage is the gift, right? And it, mm-hmm. so your gift of marriage might look completely different than someone else's gift of marriage. It's separate from mm-hmm. the person. Um, so if you look at it that way, like marriage is the gift mm-hmm. and your gift when laid on your relationship might look completely different than w- when it's laid on someone else's relationship. So yeah, hopefully that is helpful. That's cool. Well. Yeah. I like that perspective. Yeah. I appreciate that. That was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so I'm not going to take credit for that. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we'll, we'll continue. To, so how long have you been married by now? We have been married. We just celebrated our two year anniversary. Okay, look at you guys. Wow. I know, we, we made it. <laughs> look at you. Okay, perfect. So two years. What do you feel like has been like the biggest thing you've learned in two years so far? Mm. That I am not a nice person. <laughs> <laughs> You're human. That is not profound at all. Thought? I know. Uh, like God has so much, God has so much work to do on me. And mm. It has tested my, just my, my flesh, like realizing that being an independent female and actually mm. having a pretty good life as an independent female, um, really wanted to be married, really wanted that relationship, that closeness. And I knew that that's what I wanted for my life. Uh, there are a lot of things about singlehood that insulate you from a lot of growth. Not that you can't still grow. Mm. Not that you can't, like God has growth for you in the singlehood and God has maybe has additional growth for you in marriage, but, um, there's a lot of ugliness in me that has come out through marriage Mm. and I am grateful for that work of the Lord because you do get tested and your endurance does get tested and you think, you know, man, am I just, do I need to just. I'm a little more selfish than I thought I was, you know? And I think that's, that's one of the biggest things is just the reality of my humanness. And there's no profound statement to say out of that other than, um, it is good for God to just kind of open those closets in your heart and be like, okay, Mm -hmm. we're we're cleaning this out. And it, it has been, it has been very sanctifying and it's true when they all say, oh, marriage will sanctify you. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. It does. It does happen. Yeah. No, I really appreciate you sharing that because, yeah, like you like you said, singleness coming into a a marriage when you enjoyed your singleness, too. I can see how that'd be hard. Like, yeah, (laughs) you had you were having a great time before you were being uh, convicted of, you know, how you how you treat people or like cornered into having to deal with Mm -hmm. things that you (laughs) were able to avoid being singleness in singleness because 
you're you're what you weren't with people 24 7 yeah um, i had to share a room or or have different standards right. of like hey i'll clean this you clean that it's just like i just deal right. with my own crap and we're good you know <laughs> yeah yeah and that i think that really speaks to single single women and, and men right now too like look at your season and be grateful for what you have right now <laughs> because mm-hmm. it may not look the same when you're married you may yeah. have to compromise it in certain ways that you really love being in your singleness that might look completely different when you're married. So yeah. be grateful and, for where you're at. Yeah. And I think that in the peak of my singleness, perhaps if you had caught me in a frustrating season, if I had heard someone like me who had been married say like, Oh, marriage is really hard. You know, you singles better be grateful. I would have been like, be quiet. <laughs> You don't know what you're saying because you're married. You must right. be, you know, you're able to say, or you're saying something like that, but you, you're be so ignorant or whatever. But mm-hmm. I, I now see that singleness is hard and marriage is hard. We yes. all get to experience hard, hard things. Mm-hmm. Singleness mm-hmm. is wonderful. Marriage is wonderful. There are pros and cons to everything. And I love my husband yeah. and I love this. I love the fact that God God knew that my life needed him. And I don't mean that selfishly, but his life also needed me for us to Mm -hmm. take the next step in our accomplishing God's will for our lives. Just like Mm. singleness was a step in a season to accomplishing a particular season of God's will for my life and for his life. And, and it's just, it's just a, a blip on the timeline. We're just moving forward. God shifts circumstances. There might be a day where we have kids or I pass away or he passes away and all of a sudden our circumstances look different, but God knows and God knows what we need. Um, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for, for all the years that I was single because man, I did some really fun stuff and made some really cool friends and it was awesome. And I'm super grateful to be married and I do really fun stuff with my husband and we, we love traveling. We love ministering together. Like it's so cool to be able to do that with somebody and, you know, have a built-in best friend, so to speak, that's your, your roommate that you don't have to worry of. They're going to get married off and move out next year. Like I remember having all these roommates getting married and moving out and it was like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm alone. (laughs) Yeah. That's real. That's real. Oh yeah. It's tough. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's nice because you are, you're not too far removed from singleness to speak on Mm -hmm. both experiences. Like Mm -hmm. you can say like, I enjoyed being single. I don't really hear a lot of married people say that, but I think it's also because maybe they weren't as close to singleness as you are maybe. Um, because like, it's cool to hear that you, you can say in marriage, I enjoyed my singleness. I had a great time there, but I'm also having a great time here. Mm -hmm. That's really helpful. Yeah. I think the difference was I'm a very social person and I actually, I, I always lived with people. I always had, I had roommates that I really enjoyed for the most part, <laughs> if you're listening <laughs> to this, don't hate me. Um, and I lived with, I lived with my parents for many years. And even when mm-hmm. I, when I moved back, like I was in Nashville for a few years and then moved back in with them for a couple of years before I got married. Like I was sleeping in the same bedroom as my little brother, literally like days before I got married. It was really funny. Um, wow. but like I, uh, we all need community. God built us that way. And we feel Mm -hmm. the sting of loneliness when we don't. And I think it's really, really hard. And I think singleness would have been a lot harder for me if I had lived alone and if I hadn't had good community. So I think that adds to the sting of it. Um, just like if you were married and you were struggling in your relationship with your husband and you had nobody to pour into you, no one to to advise you, that would be equally pain. It would make the burden harder. So God gives us people and circumstances that can help us in the pain of that season. And that doesn't mean that even if you're, you love your parents and you're all living together. So you have that community, you're not going to still be up at night thinking, man, I wish, you know, I'm going to another wedding tomorrow and it's not me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wish Mm -hmm. I was with somebody, but still there's, there's way that ways that God eases that burden. Yeah. That is really good. Yeah. So, so, so moving into like talking about maybe burden might not be the best word, but um, how do you feel like your mental health has affected your marriage as a whole individually? And then also, I guess your husband and your marriage, your marriage as by itself, I guess that kind of mm-hmm. sounds weird, but like, no, <laughs> your relationship, that makes sense. I guess. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, I would say, generally speaking, it has affected it significantly. And I think my husband would agree. I've, I've had a lot of health issues that I do believe are at the root of my mental health struggles. And okay. when I'm fatigued, when I'm not feeling well, I tend to get cranky. <laughs> cranky mm. and just down and not motivated. My husband's very fun loving. He's very high energy. And so I think it wears on him when I'm not at that same place. And I want to be at the same place. Just like my body is dragging along. And mm -hmm. his personality too, is he can take on sometimes emotionally, like what other people might be going through, um, mm. which is a great quality of empathy. But we've had to discuss that where, you know, I've said, hey, I really need you to be strong for me. And I, you know, I don't want to bring you down with my feelings. But when I'm down, you know, it's really hard if you're also down too, because then you're down because I'm down. And you're kind of taking that on. You're wanting to empathize, but yet learning how to how to have strength when one of us is is not doing well. And he he yeah. barely ever has bad days. He's like Mr. Cheerful, which is super great considering I can be like <laughs> this. Mm -hmm. And I will say specifically, it has been difficult with the OCD because he really had no clue what it was other than a stereotype probably of like, oh, you fix picture frames here and there. So that has been hard to explain to him, just like it would be hard to explain to anybody who doesn't understand. I mean, there was a point in my life where I had no clue what OCD was and even though I was experiencing it without knowing it. So yeah. Figuring out how to that that's been a difficult journey to walk of trying to help him understand while also wanting his validation, you know, where if I have OCD and I meet someone with OCD, I'm like, oh my gosh, I know the lingo immediately. I know I'm not going to take what you just said seriously because I know that's a, an obsession or whatever, you know, kind of navigating it because I I'm experienced with it, whereas he's mm -hmm. not experienced with it, but he's learning about it. It can be tough uh, for him to be able to know how to interact with me about it, or maybe not take it as seriously. Um, that's been that's been difficult. Take it seriously, yeah. as in, you know, hey, I know you're not feeling well. You sound like you're maybe obsessing about something. It's not really. It shouldn't mm -hmm. be that big of a deal. Let's just kind of, you know, bring it down. He he's he's learning. Okay, um, but he's had a <laughs> yeah, great attitude. He's had a years, so. <laughs> Right. And it's mm -hmm. hard. OCD is weird and unique and it's not for the faint of heart. So, you know, God bless him. He's, he's trying and he's trying to learn. And, um, I think the difficulty is when the OCD can involve him with relationship OCD. And mm -hmm. that's currently, that's not, I, you know, there, there was a time when it was maybe it can be more pronounced than other times. But yeah. when it involves him, it's like, oh, you know, is this, did I marry the right person or whatever? And it can be triggered if we're going through a difficulty, then I can get fearful and think maybe I made the wrong choice. And, you know, mm -hmm. maybe we weren't good personalities for each other or something. And then that can become a fear and an obsession. So it can be hard for him when that then becomes, you know, a theme. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's been fun too navigate as well so <laughs> when do you when did you let him know was this like in dating that you let him know or was mm -hmm. it after you guys were engaged after you guys got married yeah it was while we were dating and i just said hey just letting you know um i struggle with this and you know i i kind of wanted him to have full disclosure, so to speak, even though it's, it's kind of hard to sum up everything that you struggle with in just a conversation, but it was definitely mm -hmm. something that I was open with him about and wanted him to know because it's not for the, not for the faint of heart. And I think at the time he didn't fully understand the scope of the impact of that. And, you know, he was very kind and very understanding. And he actually has a brother who has struggled with some severe mental health issues. Mm. So he was like, I'm made for this to help you in this way. Mm. And that was really encouraging for me to hear that from him, that he, you know, God even had prepared him through what his brother had gone through to wow. have compassion, to have compassion and to understand, to be okay with that because of his history mm -hmm. and his family. Yeah. 
I think that's so important to let people know as you're dating and you, you well, not too soon, right? Because you don't want to just like mm-hmm. tell anyone who doesn't <laughs> deserve to hear about yeah. your, you know, your experiences. Um, mm-hmm. But if you actually think this person's going to be in your life for the rest of your life, like you think that's going to actually happen. It's important mm-hmm. to have that conversation in dating. I understand that it might be nerve wracking that you'll, you'll think that it'll ruin the relationship or they'll have to second guess being with mm-hmm. you. But yeah. you'd rather someone have that thought process um, before it's affecting your dating relationship um, or your marriage. So yeah, make sure and you are similarly. Yeah. And another difficult question to kind of tie some of these things together from my end is we had a conversation about porn early on okay. and in sexual past. And because I knew that was something we needed to get out in the open that mm-hmm. was important for us to discuss. And I, I really feel like questions around sexual bo- baggage or bondage or history are best done early in the dating relationship because number one, it yes. tells you a lot about where they're at currently. You can totally tell by their responses. Well, not always if people are good at hiding, but you can often tell kind of where they're at if they're still into stuff if they're over whoever they were sleeping with in the past relationship Mm -hmm. or whatever. And so we just kind of got it all out there. I told him that I had struggled with pornography as well. And he told me that he had struggled with it as well. And we were able to just get that out in the open and become Mm -hmm. accountability for each other early on. And he, he ended up going to a men's retreat um, and really digging deep uh, as to the why behind his porn addiction and really being able to go through a lot of his past. And he sat me down after that and uh, with fear and trembling told me like almost his whole history with sexual wow. mishaps. <laughs> and mm. just we were able to kind of grieve through that together and work through that. And at least I kind of understood things that he had gone through. He had been sexually assaulted and it was just Mm. a lot of things that needed to come out in the open, but that was so important for us um, to have not only just, Hey, here's the mental health struggle. Here's the, here's everything (laughs) out on the table. And yes, you know, you can back out if you want to, but (laughs) neither of us did, which I'm very grateful for. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's, that is another very important conversation. Um, and if you guys even, even need to like, you know, pull it, pull them together, you know, mental health and your sexual past, you know, let it be a, a whole conversation. You guys can oh, sit yeah. out and just like, you know, <laughs> just, just, just get it all out. Just get at it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> throw in some generational trauma there or right. you know, Why generational not? curses. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> right. Why not? Why not? Um, yeah. But I think the point you made, it really does show you someone's character. Every time mm-hmm. that I've told a man that yeah. I'm waiting till marriage, <laughs> it has showed me who they are. Oh, you can, and, and, and even if you're discerning, you can tell by kind of how they react after that. Yeah. If it's if he's a man of God, he's going to be enthusiastic about that. Mm-hmm. And if and he's exactly. going to be like, this is the woman I have been waiting for. And if he's exactly. not, he's going to be hesitant or he's going to be weird mm-hmm. or hostile about that. Yes. Totally. Or make excuses. It's, oh, Yeah. And I'm so mm-hmm. for literally just kind of throwing these type of questions out there early on, even on the first date. Why not? Because yeah. it, if you don't want to waste your time, literally you can tell mm-hmm. so much by just putting those out there saying, listen, I'm serious. Yeah. I'm dating to marry. And these are some very mm-hmm. important things to me. And if a guy is worthy of that and worthy of you, he will get into it with you and he'll say, all right, mm-hmm. let's, whew, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's get right. into it. That's a man that you can trust with your future. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I know some of you might have heard her say first date. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> now we're not telling you to tell them your <laughs> deepest, darkest secret, you know, what happened to you when you were a child or the depths mm-hmm. of your mental health issue. But the conversations uh, about sex, about mental health should be started on as early as possible mm-hmm. because it tells you where they're at with that. And if you feel yeah. like this person is like making excuses for maybe having sex with someone a a week ago or Mm -hmm. getting drunk with their friends on their birthday that happened last month and they're making excuses for that behavior um, and not having a repentant heart, that is a red flag. And you can see that early on and get out of there. Yeah. (laughs) And that that doesn't mean that even if it was a recent offense, 
that they're automatically off the table. That doesn't mean that. It just means that Mm -hmm. you'll be able to discern where their heart is at and you'll know that you're going to have some stuff to work through and some trust to even rebuild early on. Right. So where, yeah, yeah. where's their heart at when they, when they explain that to you, if they're like, it was just a, it was just a crazy night or whatever. I mean, I was with the boys. Like, yeah, that's not a repentant heart. No, (laughs) no, not a repentant heart. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Which sidebar sidebar on that, one of the best questions I think you can ask is what were your boundaries, physical boundaries in past relationships or in your mm. last, just narrow it down to your last relationship because that's going to actually have them admit if there were or there, that's a very straightforward question and it's mm-hmm. not accusatory like, um, did you sleep with someone in your last relationship? You know, just say right. like, hey, I would love to hear about, you know, you could kind of warm them up by like, what what are you looking for in a relationship? Are you ready for a committed relationship? Whatever. And just say like, Hey, I'm so curious. I love hearing about this from different people that I talked to, but what were your boundaries or what are your boundaries in a relationship? And what were your boundaries in your last relationship? I'm so curious. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be nailing them about it, but that will tell you a lot. (laughs) Sure will. (laughs) So I also was wondering, because I know you're saying you you had a porn addiction as well. How did that exist at the same time as your OCD? How did that mm-hmm. work? So I wouldn't, they definitely existed at the same time. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say that they necessarily affected each other. Although I okay. think that the OCD tendency for me to confess very quickly or like be so obsessed with com- confessing and clearing my conscience would mm-hmm. cause me to like immediately like ask God to forgive me and and okay. try to clear the slate with God. And um yeah, so I would say that that might have been how it affect excuse me, how it affected together. Okay. So your O C D is more with you and God and not with you mm-hmm. and others. Okay. That well, it, it can, it encompasses a lot of things like, you know, okay. did I offend this friend? And then you can obsess about mm-hmm. what did I say or did that I upset them or whatever. So it can affect people, but it, it also is a lot of, there's a lot of tie in to my relationship with God. Okay. Cause I was thinking, I was wondering like, if you are um, having OCD about um, confessing, then pornography is a very isolating experience. So mm-hmm. I would think that those two things would have been kind of a, a hard thing to wrestle with, but it makes sense that you were confessing to God. So it was a little different than you have yeah. to people or people you're right. in a relationship with. Right. And my, I would definitely say it was an addiction because it happened more than once. It was kind of over the space of the year of, of like a year. And okay. I was, I was, I wouldn't say I'm, I don't want to like minimize it at all. It was on occasion, but it wasn't all the time or, you know, some Mm -hmm. very, very frequent thing, but my heart attitude of feeling lonely, of feeling tired of being a late twenties virgin of feeling kind of fed up with God, not letting that happen yet, marriage happen yet or whatever. Um, I would say definitely played into my motives of wanting physical and emotional intimacy. And mm-hmm. so that overrode, you know, my my obsession with a clear conscience was overridden by just this dissatisfaction, grief. discontentment, yeah. grief, all mm-hmm. the things. And yeah. okay, you know, it's really sad, but um even my OCD was overcome by those emotions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that just so. shows you like the depth of it for you. Mhm. So how do you feel like you were able to overcome that? Because I I have had someone on the podcast, uh, a female on the podcast to talk about um, her experience with pornography, but you could have, you know, found a different way out of it. So I would like to hear, how did you find your way out of that? Yeah. So it actually was not long after I met. So I, I, it was a very brief instance from me, you know, looking at porn and then meeting Steven. It was like maybe a week or something. Oh, wow. Or more, maybe a week and a half. I don't know. It wasn't that long. Okay. Okay. And so I met Steven and very shortly after I met him, we had, you know, maybe a couple, like a month in or whatever, um, a conversation about 
our sexual past and everything. And I was on good behavior (laughs) at the beginning of our relationship. And I think, again, Mm -hmm. that speaks to just the emotional problem that it was, was like, oh, poor me. I'm not in a relationship. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to get something out of pornography that I don't have in a relationship. So when the relationship came along, it definitely met that need, so to speak. So Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like this compelling draw to go look at porn, Mm -hmm. which is why it's interesting, like how differently men and women maybe approach porn. It's, it's bad across the board, but even just our different, how we're wired or what we need. And so after talking with Steven, not, I was still tempted to look at things that I shouldn't look at on occasion after that. But because we had been open with each other, my accountability with him and the knowledge that I would need to tell him if I had looked at anything mm-hmm. bad and his knowledge that he would need to tell me was so strong because mm-hmm. for me and something that I've learned in my life, accountability is the number one way out of sinful or lazy patterns of life for me personally yeah. and maybe mm-hmm. many other people because I really care about what other people think about me. It's a mm-hmm. not a great thing. Maybe it is a good thing. It's a good thing for accountability, I guess. And yeah. that's why I have a business coach. You know, that's why I have uh, accountability with my husband. That's why my husband and I, when we made some mistakes in our relationship where we got a little handsy, um, <laughs> to, I hate using that term, but you know what I mean? We got a little too close. Yes. Um, <laughs> that being accountable to our premarital counselors was what kept us from doing it again. Like that, mm. boom, that stopped. <laughs> and yeah. and thank God that, you know, we just deep down, I think, knew that that's what we need to do is be accountable to them. So uh, mm. thank God that that really, really was strong. And there was one instance where I was watching the Bridgerton TV show and there was a scene that I watched and I was like, I should not have watched that scene. That was that was arousing or whatever. And I confessed that to Steven. I was like, hey, I shouldn't have watched this scene. So I was able to then go to him even after that and say like, hey. And then there was another thing where he was watching a net, like some Netflix show was inappropriate and he told me about mm-hmm. it. And so we were able to continue that with each other. And I think there are certain instances where you maybe shouldn't be accountable to your date, your boyfriend or girlfriend, especially if maybe – you know, your struggle was watching porn together or something mm-hmm. like that. There's certain yeah. instances, but in our case, it was actually really helpful. So I think that's a case by case thing. Like go think about who's the person, who's the last person you'd want to tell, <laughs> go to yeah. them and ask them yeah. to be your accountability. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good one. And I think the distinction you're making too, is if you are struggling sexually with your partner, then you need to find someone else to be accountable with because yeah. <laughs> I've I've had clients where they're trying to be each other's accountability, but in that moment, you guys both want to have sex. Right. <laughs> so how are you going to be accountable to the person that's part of this problem? <laughs> exactly. You can't do that. So you need to find someone yeah. outside of the relationship to be accountable to. So what do you think your encouragement to the person who is afraid to be accountable to someone? What would your encouragement be to them. You're going to feel so good after you get free from it. Like it's going to be like you're a little lamb skipping in a field of daisies. And (laughs) (laughs) it's like you were obese and you shed 300 pounds. I mean, it's going to, it's going to be so worth it on the other end. And you just have to believe that you have to see it. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, deep down that it would be amazing. So you just got to do it. You got to get over yourself. Got to smack yourself around a little bit. And literally like force yourself with trembling fingers to call that person or whatever. And trust me, it's not going to be as bad as you think it is. Like you think it's going to be this horrible conversation and maybe they will judge you and maybe you need to go to somebody else. I don't know. But like it's actually going to be great. And chances are they've struggled with whatever similar thing you're confessing to them. So it's not that bad. It hurts, but it's not that bad. And the reward is so great. Definitely. Yeah, I definitely agree. Accountability is needed. And I just, like you said, we need people like the Lord put people in our lives for a reason. You're not supposed to walk through these things by yourself. And the devil would love for you to be in isolation with something that's eating at your, your spirit and Mm -hmm. um, just allowing your flesh to run wild. Oh, Um, totally. But there is, there's, and I promise, 
I promise that if you're sitting there and you're like, well, that's great. She had some godly couple that were counseling them, but we don't. Nobody cares about us. And we have, we don't even have a church that we're going to, whatever. If you trust the Lord and you ask him to give you accountability, I promise you he will bring you someone or mm-hmm. some people. So don't yeah. use, that's an excuse. Don't use that as an excuse. If God knows that that's the key to your freedom, and I believe that in most instances it is, then he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. So don't, yeah, don't so make that excuse. <laughs> that is <laughs> that is safeguarding definitely for uh, sexual sin. Are there any like routines or like check-ins or anything you guys do um, regarding to mental health to manage that within your marriage? Within our marriage, I think maybe I check in a little too much. We don't have anything that's a routine or like a catchphrase or anything, although maybe we should like a code word or something if I'm not doing well. Um, But I would say we have pretty good communication about it. And I'm, I feel open to tell him, you know, if I'm not doing well, a lot of times I, I keep a lot of the OCD stuff to myself just because it is so much. And because Mm -hmm. I already know the answer to it anyway. It's more so sometimes I just say in general, like, Hey, I'm just struggling with some OCD stuff. You know, I also don't want to involve him directly because I know it could really hurt him. And that's something I really should talk to a therapist about if it's relationship OCD, uh, raising its head again. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I think there's a definitely delicate balance between honesty and knowing, knowing what exactly to, to kind of give to a therapist versus dump on your spouse. Yes, that is a really good point. That's a really good point. There is a distinction. And I think some people, I don't know why I'm thinking of The Bachelor. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you just saw the past. Because it just aired. (laughs) Yeah, he was, he, he was at fault for being way too honest. Mm. He had to think it, he needed to think it through and think, how is this going to affect everyone Mm -hmm. involved? is do I need to be honest at a different point? Do I need to be honest in a different way? And he did not yeah. handle that well. And there, there is a, there is a reality to that. There, honesty, the Lord loves truth. The Lord loves you being honest, but um, there are ways to handle it that mm-hmm. can be better than others. So like you yeah. just said, yes, your OCD is affecting your marriage, but mm. if you realize me having this conversation with him right now in this way, will actually hurt him more and I need to talk to someone else, that is a great alternative. And you can be honest in a different way when you have had time to sit with it and, and think it through first. Oh, totally. Totally. And, and I don't th- being someone who can be honest blunt, to a fault as in I'm too blunt, mm-hmm. I that's my tendency. I got to learn how to, you know, is this something that it, they need to know in order to help me? Is this detail? Um, you know, especially if it involves them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is a really good question to ask as well. Um, so for the person that is nervous about even like telling someone about their mental health issue, what do you think you would tell them? Like maybe they're in dating and they really like this person. They don't want them to run away or leave them. What would you say to that person? Well, in this case, yes, honesty is the best policy, <laughs> I think I think it's fair to them uh, to know at least generally what you go through. And it doesn't mean you have to go through every single little detail, but to invite them into that. Um, it is it is very important. I think especially if you've struggled with suicidal tendencies, that that's a burden. You know, it really takes a special person to be able to handle that. And it's not that it's a bad thing. It's not that you're a bad person. It's just, there's unique situations. Um, it'd be like you marrying someone and not realizing they were paralyzed from the waist down or something. And, and that's Mm -hmm. not a bad thing. It's just, I mean, uncomfortable, but you got to know, am I, is that a challenge that God has uniquely equipped me to, to move forward with? So you kind of have to give the, give the transparency there so that you're prepared and that it doesn't come back to bite you. If they say, well, you never told me that. I didn't know it was, you know, it could cause friction later in marriage if they feel like you weren't being honest. Right. Yeah. And I do just want to add to that. Like you never have to trap someone into loving you. Oh no. That is not, 
that is not God's plan for you. He will find <laughs> someone that can handle that can handle your experience. He yes. he will allow you to be with someone who can handle handle that. So you yeah. never have to trap someone into loving you. And I will say on that report, <laughs> I was dating a guy. Actually, I was thinking maybe I would marry him. And this is the four month relationship. And again, I know you're like, oh, how would you know that after four months? Well, I was I was really excited about him, and he was perfect. He, he seemed, there were so many things about him that were so great. And he actually mm -hmm. had mental health struggles himself. He had tried to commit suicide actually. Um, mm. and we were able to connect over those things, but I think God really knew that that would have been hard for both of us in a marriage. Mm. And yeah. I actually ended up having a mental breakdown while we were dating and let him in to a lot of the realities of those OCD struggles that I was going through and I think it was, I think it was too much for him and we mm -hmm. broke it off. It was mutual because I couldn't handle the relationship at that time with what I was going through. And, and I think he was also seeing the handwriting there and I'm so glad he's a wonderful guy. I wish him the best. Like he, he's so sweet, but I think, man, that would not have been a good combination. And, mm -hmm. you know, but then of course that caused some rejection and thinking, you know, it can make you think like, am I, am I, uh, broken? Am I too, you know, mm. he left me because of this or this was too much for him or whatever. And then along a few, if you know, year and a half later, along comes my husband and tells me, Oh, I'm made for this. You know, I'm built for this. Like this is, I can, I can deal with this with you. And yeah, his, his personality has been so great. Um, mm -hmm we balance each other out really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, yeah, that's a, I keep saying it's a good point, but you keep making really good points. I don't usually say this every so often in every episode, <laughs> um, but that is a really good point because like, um, you may be a situ in a situation where you both have mental health issues and your you might need to even go your separate ways or go to therapy because of that. So you guys mm -hmm. might need to go a couples therapist and yeah. you don't have to wait to go to couples therapy until premarital. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that again. You don't oh, yeah. have to wait <laughs> to go to couples therapy until premarital. I have right. a boyfriend and girlfriend in therapy right now and that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I th think that's a great idea. They're trying oh, to yeah. figure out, should we get married? And that's beautiful. So that is it's an option. It's better for, for them well. to figure it out now than when they're engaged and they're going to premarital counseling. Yeah, totally. Exactly. We should have way more of that. <laughs> exactly yes so this is me giving you permission if you're in a relationship right now and you're trying to figure out if you want to get married go to pre-premarital <laughs> counseling <laughs> um and that counselor can let you guys know like you know what maybe i need to see this person individually or mm -hmm. you guys together and, and work on this uh, uh right now and maybe you guys will realize we're not for each other right now until we can get to a healthier place and come back together and be in a relationship that way totally um, so I yeah, think that's, I think, I think that's, that's so, that's so important. And again, also remembering that you can't inoculate yourself. You can't counsel yourself out of troubles down the road. It doesn't mean that you're just going to have a guaranteed amazing marriage because you were open and honest about mental health struggles or sexual bondage in the past or whatever, mm -hmm. but it, it just makes it so much easier and it paves the way for a healthy standard of how you're going to deal with issues that will come up down the road. You're setting the precedent mm -hmm. for it. You're setting the expectation. How we attack these things is honesty, openness, accountability, compassion for each other. Those are excellent standards to start off a relationship in a marriage with. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And I think the beautiful thing about this is too, you met a man who literally said, let's do this. Yeah. I was built for this. What <laughs> yep. a beautiful thing for people who have mental health issues to hear. Like you can be met with somebody who is, who would love to be with you mm -hmm. regardless. Like right. they feel like I can do this and I, yeah. I want you regardless. So I'm now so there glad have, that you said that. There have been days though where I think he's, He's been probably challenged on that statement where he thinks, oh, yeah, I'm sure. can I handle this? I don't know, you know, and, uh, but then again, it's been a growing experience for him and his, his strength and, and his abilities, um, 
are growing over time and and what he's able to learn how to interact with, just like me learning how to handle his brokenness and his insecurities and his difficulties and his bad days. You know, we're here to lift Mm -hmm. each other up. And that doesn't mean that we're just going to, it's going to be easy. It's that God knows that we can be strong when the other is weak and that hopefully our personalities then balance each other out in those ways too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hopefully you guys got good enough sense of humor because that's needed in marriage. <laughs> oh, yes. We we have very, very loud and boisterous humors between the two of us. <laughs> that's great. Beautiful. Okay. So is there any last words you have to say to the people? Any, any last um, advice or anything like that for them? I would just say don't spend your time looking for something that you don't have or something that's not in your life yet. Whether you're in marriage, don't be looking at other people's relationships and comparing because that's something I have done and is a downward spiral and causes Mm -hmm. you to be discontent. And don't be in singleness thinking, man, my life will just start and I'll finally be able to do X, Y, Z when I get married or when that person comes. Focus on what God has given you right now and and search for the beauty in it like you're digging for treasure because there is treasure where you're at and there are so many things that he has for you in this season. So don't waste energy trying to be in another blip on the timeline because all we've got is this little timeline. So enjoy Mm -hmm. the different sections that you're in regardless of how long or how short they are. Yeah, that is really good. I can tell you write songs. (laughs) (laughs) You just, you, you're doing a great job of like creating imagery for people. Oh, so (laughs) you're welcome. So where can the people find you? Well, uh, musically you can find me on all the streaming platforms at, uh, Sarah Sorensen. That's my, my name, my full name. And I, uh, am on the social medias under a few different a few different usernames on TikTok. Okay. It's at Sarah Soren songs. I was trying to be cute with my last name. S O R E N S O N G S. And then Instagram at Sarah Sorensen music and, uh, Facebook. I'm on there, but you know, it's kind of dying. I think slow death. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, if you want to find her, <laughs> if you want to find me. And then I have a community that I just launched where I interact with people one-on-one. We talk about OCD. We talk about relationships, Christian encouragement, and you can find that, uh, the link for that in my Instagram at thrive hive community. Um, and so that's, that's a place where I interact with people more directly, but yeah, it's been a really cool. It's been super fun to be on here and to get to know you a little bit better over the past month or so. Yeah, you as well. I'm so glad you came on. I know this is gonna be really healing for people. Um, so thank you so much. Um, but as you guys know, you can follow the parallel at the parallel pod on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Um, remember to kiss the sun, speak the truth and love, and I'll be seeing you in a couple weeks. Bye.